Hello, my name is Diane Schindler. You are listening to In the Know. This podcast show includes writing tips, travel tips, and my views of life from savvy and thoughtful to quirky and humorous. I hope you enjoy the show. Good morning. I'm coming to you from Manchestadio, Portugal. It's May 17th, an incredible day. I'm going to take a walk later along the Iberian Peninsula, but first, I'm looking forward to chatting with you, so to speak, today, and I want to go way, way back. When I was in elementary school in the third grade, I remember studying about Chile, the country of Chile. I was completely drawn to this land of extreme terrain and colorful culture. I wanted to dance and sing like they danced and they sang in Chile. I imagined how the Andes looked when I could actually see the mountains firsthand. I could only dream of what the that food tastes like. I mean, not only could I not pronounce it, I just thought I longed I wanted to taste those foods, and I especially wanted to meet those smiling children pictured in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's how long ago this was. (laughs) Chile was a world away, and I wanted to go. I remembered that third grade Chile lesson, just like it was yesterday. I was nine years old, and it was the beginning of my relationship with my very own travel bug. It was an insidious but subtle gadfly-like bug that gently nagged at me long after Mrs. Wilson's geography class. It latched on and remained secure despite my choice to decline, albeit reluctantly, an opportunity to work overseas for the Federal Bureau investigation right after high school. I mean, I remember when I was a senior in high school, I was 17 years old, and I was taking the FBI exam. I had to fill out the application, and it said, check this box if you want to work in in Washington, D.C., and I said, yes, and I checked that box. The next box said, check this box if you want to work outside the United States, and I said, yes, I want to work outside the United States, and then... And then, in the back of my mind, I saw my dad's face. I thought, oh gosh, he's never going to let me go outside the United States. So I raced my little X on that box. And then I said to myself, but wait a second, I will be an adult in a couple of months. I will graduate from high school. I can do what I want. I want to travel all over the world. And I checked that box again, and then I heard his voice in the back of my head saying, don't forget your curfew, Diane. Be home by midnight. (laughs) Well, needless to say, I erased the X. I mean, I put the X in and erased it so many times there was a hole in the application, so I didn't do it. Let me digress for a moment. I did go to work for the FBI in Washington, D.C. from from Ohio right after high school. As the years passed, I managed some travel, a nine-day tour of Europe, three weeks in Japan, 
a long weekend in Bermuda, and holidays in Mexico. But my travel bug became a deep-seated disease. And frankly, I wasn't totally aware of it, but it was there. Finally, my travel bug left the subtle approach behind, and it grabbed hold of me, and it reminded me that my desire now was a need. And I knew that my travel bug could never be satiated with an occasional jaunt here and there over a 30-year career in higher education. Ah, but you know, the universe, it always spoke to me and I didn't always listen. However, in the last few years, it became louder and I finally opened up to hear it and recognize it. So in October of 2015, I went with tennis friends Ruth Ann and Leon to Istanbul and Cappadocia. This trip to Turkey became the ultimate tipping point. No longer in denial, I surrendered to my travel bug. At last, I was free from myself. I embraced my lifelong disease. And as a result, my tenacious travel bug was transformed into a sweet, enthusiastic companion that released my free spirit and passion for adventure. Within three months after that turkey metamorphosis, I sold my house, my car, my art studio, my music studio, and all my worldly possessions except my guitar, my tennis racket, and a few pieces of clothing that fit nicely in a medium-sized suitcase. And on January 15th, 2016, I began my lifelong dream of traveling the world. So now, let's fast forward. After four years of traveling, I found myself back in Amelia Island, Florida, to do a book signing when I got caught up in the pandemic. And as all of you got caught up in the pandemic as well, I was like 18 months stuck in this small apartment in Amelia Island, Florida, and my travel bug was scratching at my itchy feet. So there was nothing I could do. I was thinking in those four years that I hiked the volcanic mountains of Madeira Island, Portugal. I traversed the cliffs of the Costa de Morta, also known as the Death Coast in northwestern Spain. I climbed the Grand Atlas Mountains of Morocco. I cruised the Danube River in Austria. I sang and played my guitar anywhere anybody would allow me, especially in Spain, Italy, and Kosovo. I attended the French Open Tennis Tournament in Paris and the Italian Open Tennis Tournament in Rome. I rode a camel in Cappadocia, Turkey. I attended opera performances in Italy and Austria. I walked the sacred grounds of Auschwitz in Poland. I rode horseback on the top of Cusco, Peru, and in the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of Spain. I experienced spiritual surrender to Machu Picchu and much, much more. Yes, I did all that and I'm ready for more, but wait, wait. I've been in Portugal since August 2021 and looking forward to more and more travel. But what is it about travel that captured my everything? 
Yeah, we know it's clear that the sights and the sounds and the smells and the tastes are incredible. The knowledge of histories is enlightening and humbling. But there is much more. What is it about travel, really, that captured my everything? It is the people. It is the people. So I have two stories to tell you about two incredible women that I met on my travels. Let's start in Prague. I had traveled for over four hours by train from Vienna, Austria to Prague. I was, I certainly needed the rest. After all, I had wandered the streets of Vienna searching for live music, longing for fabulous architecture, and yes, I found all of that. It was beautiful. I arrived in Prague at the busiest train station in all of the Czech Republic and walked the Lisbon-like pavement to my Airbnb apartment. Now, Lisbon-like pavement, if you've been to Lisbon, you know, it's sort of, it's limestone cubes, can be slippery, and is uneven all over the place. It's very uneven. So, 30 minutes. The wheels of my suitcase jammed into the pavement every couple of feet, causing me to stop and turn and adjust before beginning again. And I was really tired. Finally, I reached my destination and my non-English speaking host, the tall and beautiful Marquetta, greeted me with beautiful, fantastic exuberance. Her bright blue eyes lit up even brighter when she saw my guitar. She spoke Czech, interspersed with English, and asked me to play something. Well, you know, I'm always ready, eager to play and to sing, and I was, I was happy to oblige, and I played Blackbird by the Beatles and Eric Clapton tunes and so forth, and meanwhile, she was videotaping me with her cell phone. Then we sat at the table for some wine and cheese and managed to have a conversation, despite my speaking no Czech and her speaking little English. I learned that this 50-ish blonde woman had three daughters in their 20s, two granddaughters, and had been married for 37 years when her husband, this is an age-old story in any country, when her husband left her for a 20-something woman just five months prior to my meeting her in her Airbnb. I barely detected her sadness. She was kind of stoic. But when I touched her hand, she was more willing to let her guard down. Her pain was unmistakable. We sat in silence, I I think, for ten full minutes. We finished our wine and gently cried together for a few minutes longer. We hugged and promised to stay untouched as she walked out the door. You know, women are women are women all over the world. Let me take a moment to bring your attention to my latest novel, Claim Denied. It's a thriller which takes place in Pristina, Kosovo, where I worked as a writing consultant for the American University for about eight months. Let me read to you one of the reviews on Amazon about Claim Denied. It's entitled... Great Who Done It set in an intriguing location of Kosovo. This is written by Bookish, that's all I know, no name, and it was reviewed in the United States in August. Bookish says, 
I needed a good read and stumbled upon Claim Denied. I'm glad I purchased it. The storyline is well-paced, and the characters are interesting to say the least. The main character, Margot, is the enduring lover who refuses to quit investigating the death of someone dear. I learned a lot about Kosovo from this story. If you would like to read a well-written thriller, you will enjoy Claim Denied. Well, thank you, bookish. I appreciate it so much. A lot of people have purchased my book, but only few have reviewed it. And this is a um, phenomenon, just not specific to, to me. But it happens with everyone or just fewer people who are willing to review. If you've read Claim Denied and you enjoyed reading it, please post a review on Amazon. If you haven't purchased the book, in the United States, you can order it at your local indie bookstore or in the United States or outside the United States, you can buy it on Amazon. It was 9 a.m. when we were all in the lobby ready to board the bus to our tour to Fez, Morocco for the day. Doreen and Shirley from Philadelphia area, my friends of friends, I had invited me via Facebook, imagine, to join them on a seven-day tour of Morocco. I, I was ecstatic. I shortened my two weeks in Barcelona by one week to meet them for the very first time in Malaga, Spain. The very next morning, we boarded a ferry to Tangier and then, and then a half-a-day bus ride to arrive in Fez. We picked up Marta and Sylvia, two well-traveled, smart, successful young women from Lisbon, Portugal. Our driver and our tour guide helped us into the van, and just at the last moment, an attractive, dark woman with black eyes, beautifully rimmed with just the right amount of black eyeliner, full pale lips, a lovely smile, gracefully entered the bus. Black boots, black tights, the hood of her Logan green winter coat surrounded her dark brown hair. She was beautiful, with a warm personality that became more evident as she introduced herself as Millie, our Fez tour guide. Suddenly, a gust of wind and rain blew through the van door opening. Millie quickly reached into her bag, pulled out a knitted cap, and slipped it over her head. <sighs> now... She was stunning. Founded in the 9th century and home to the oldest university in the world, Fez reached its height in the 13th and 14th century under the Marinids when it replaced Marrakesh as the capital of the kingdom. The urban fabric and the principal monuments in the Medina Fondukes. I don't pronounce these things right, so forgive me, but I'm, I'm forging on. Fondukes, palaces, residences, mosques, and fountains date from this period, although the political capital of Morocco was transferred to Rabat in, in 1912. Fez has retained its status as the country's cultural and spiritual center. Millie took us into the Medina, the ancient marketplace of Fez. She said there are 9,500 streets, some so narrow and so shallow it's even difficult to walk. But she said she grew up there and she knew them all well. She said, watch me carefully and follow. Stay close to me at all times well. 
We tagged along like dutiful children while she shared little-known information about this wonderful place. We were mesmerized by the smells of spices and honeys and cigarettes and leather. We tasted spices and rubbed concoctions on our face and, uh, and our hands. The motorbikes attached to small truck beds careened through the streets, popping exhaust and demanding their space in this narrow marketplace. We turned sideways to walk through the narrow streets, less, some less than 18 inches wide. But, you know, in addition, we were all curious about Millie and her life here in this third world country that ha seems to have little respect for women. She explained that she was married in a civil ceremony just three months ago. She had been confident while she was dating her husband-to-be that he was a good match for her. But since they were married, she was not permitted to visit her family or even to travel. He had tricked her. He had tricked her into believing he was supportive of her work and her travel. Furthermore, more than that, her husband's family didn't want her to leave the area or visit her family because they thought her family would give her money and she would leave her husband, their son. Well, wouldn't you? The official religious ceremony would occur in six weeks. I asked her why she would continue with the marriage and couldn't she leave before the religious ceremony? She explained that she was the oldest of nine children and all of her younger sisters were married. Her mother wanted her to marry and she wanted to please her mother and to ensure that her family no longer had to be ashamed that their eldest daughter was not married. She would proceed with the ceremony. All of us were saddened by this news about our tour guide who had a in a few short hours, become our Millie. We loved her. We discussed all angles, wanting to encourage her to leave, help her to get away, give her money to escape, take her away with us the, this very day. She said, I'm fine. I am fine. I'm happy to please my mother and my family. I have shamed them, and I must do the right thing for them. I'm fine. Don't worry. This was the way it was. Our tour was to end at 2.30 that afternoon, but we asked Millie to continue with us through the rest of the afternoon, and, and she did so. The rain continued. The wind was brutal. Our feet got cold and wet, and water seeped through our clothes. We shivered in the cold and in the wet, but we did not complain. How could we? could we complain? Our physical discomfort paled when we were with our lovely Millie. We all knew without saying it. Millie would leave an extremely difficult life, a life she chose for the sake of her family. At 5.30, we said goodbye with hugs, kisses, and generous tips. Millie knew how much we appreciated her work, and our hearts broke for her. We learned much more about Medina, Fez, and Morocco that day. Thank you so much for listening to In the Know. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by subscribing and sharing it with your family and friends. 
You can like this episode, leave a comment, and even add a rating. Your support is very important to the success of In The Know. Thank you for listening and see you next time.